The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Monday, Monday, Monday. Here we go, folks. It is another week. Another week of Fantasy NBA Today. That's the podcast you're listening to. I am the host on it. My name is Dan Bespris. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And this podcast is a hoop ball presentation. This is one of those times where I am actively checking my levels while doing the show, trying to make sure that everything is actually set up mid-pod. And I guess it's fine. Maybe I'm a little bit hot right now. The levels, not me. Actually, I am a little bit warm, but who cares? You are my favorites. That's how we're going to get get the uh, the week going, by me telling you guys that I really do appreciate you tuning in every week, every day. For those of you that listen to us Monday through Friday, you guys are the best. I want to start the show by throwing out a recruiting pitch today, so feel free to speed through the next 60 seconds or so if you have zero interest in working in sports of any kind. But if you have some, Hoopball right now is looking for DFS contributors. Folks, to monitor the fantasy, the full-season fantasy newswire, that's part of our blurb unit, and team coverage. So basically, you run the gamut at this point. If you want to work in sports, we are an opportunity to get your foot in the door right now. So hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com, and we will roll from there. Those of you that have been listening for a long time, you know what Mondays are like on the show. It's reverse chronological lightning round Monday, where we go backwards through the weekend just completed, starting on Sunday, working our way backwards to each team's most recent basketball game, and we try to pull whatever data we can from that to get us sort of resituated for the coming week of games. And there is a lot of stuff uh, that we need to sort of dig into here. So let's dive right on in. That recruiting pitch is the only thing I want to talk about at the beginning of the podcast, and I'll give you all the other goodies sprinkled throughout the show. Phoenix, Charlotte, weirdo early game, went to overtime and still only got to 198 points. It was a slog. Phoenix shot 35% and won. Charlotte couldn't make their damn free throws. Or they might have actually stolen this game. Devontae Graham with some crazy shots at the end of regulation. Descended into overtime. Chris Paul, arguably his worst game of the season. He'll be fine, obviously. Mikel Bridges, awesome. He has leveled off a little bit. You know, that's that's one of those things where he was a sell high earlier in the year. I know he had a huge line, so it's a weird time for me to talking about him, to discuss him as a sell high. Uh, but he's number 55. And by all accounts, that's everything that you guys could have hoped for, any of us could have hoped for on draft day on a per game basis in nine cat. Uh, almost two threes, about a steal, about a block. His offense has gotten markedly better this year. But remember, at the beginning of the season, he was like top 30. And it's one of those things where you could have moved him at that point. And before this very slow slowdown happened, he hasn't really been bad for any stretch this year. He's just gone from being awesome to just being reliably all right. And as a result, he's just kind of, you know, week by week, he's dropped three, four slots in the rankings. Just little stuff. And uh, that's actually really useful when you think about the psychology of trades, a guy who's hanging on to his good ranking, even though recently, and this, this ball game on Sunday sort of re-bumps up the recent numbers, but 
uh, over the last month, two months, that kind of thing. It's just been a little bit behind where things were earlier on in the season. So not not really talking about bridges as a sell or a buy or anything like that in this particular context, just kind of how to think about when you're trading guys away or buying them. It's those psychological elements that you have to consider. Uh, Charlotte was the more interesting side, at least in terms of you know what we're trying to pull away from the fantasy line here. Malik Monk was out with a sore foot after having a big ball game earlier in the weekend. And Miles Bridges had one of his you know, hello, I'm still here kind of ball games, but generally those are a little bit more few and far between. Devontae Graham, 39 minutes. I guess his knee is okay. If he can keep his field goal percent from falling into that, like, mid to low 30s, then he should be in pretty good shape here with uh, LaMelo Ball out for at least a few more weeks, but probably longer. I mean, I doubt he's back on that four-week mark. Uh, And then with Monk, you know, Malik will be back. And he'll get a lot of his minutes from Cody Martin, who actually played a pretty good ball game in his 26 minutes here. Um, you know, this is this is more of a high water mark for Devontae Graham, but I think he's a guy that's worth using here, at least while Lamella Ball is out. Portland at Toronto, the, the teams that made a trade just a couple days ago. Norman Powell had foul issues, so he had a kind of a rough ball game against his former team, Rob Covington. How good, oh boy, how good has he been since that slow start? Dame was okay. CJ starting to get his legs back now, so that's good to see. Derek Jones Jr. had a good one off the bench, but only those 21 minutes, so you just can't really trust it going forward. And the Yusuf Nurkic Ennis Cantor thing is starting to tip. I think you can probably hang on to Cantor until we get word that Nurkic is back in the starting lineup, and that may very well be their next ball game. But don't drop early. We know how Nurk gets hurt, and so you don't want to be the guy who drops Ennis Cantor today. Nurk, something weird happens with Nurkic. I don't know if it's like, like a calf or something that pops up. And they're like, oh, by the way, Nurk, you know, he's going to need a week off. And Cantor's still on waivers, so you can't get him back. So just wait a little bit longer. Not much, because if everything goes according to plan, Cantor will be a free agent by the end of the week. But just let it play out. You don't need to be too far in front, uh, the cart before the horse, so to speak, here. Meanwhile, on the other side, Gary Trent started at shooting guard with Freddie Van Fleet sliding down to point. Uh, no Kyle Lowry for this ballgame, so that moved Aaron Baines into the starting lineup. It seems like Gary Trent's the guy they want to start, but he has some severe fantasy limitations. He is not a category leagues guy. I do still hold out some hope that he can be a points league guy. You know, getting 10-plus shots a game, most of them from downtown, when he gets hot, and he will warm up. I mean, he's not going to shoot two for 10 from the field and miss a free throw every ballgame. But I think he'll probably have some points league value. Question is how much, and there really isn't a ton of upside there. So take all of that into account when you make your valuations. Denver smoked Atlanta because, well, Atlanta's not that good. They were beating up on bad teams. They are without DeAndre Hunter again for this ballgame, who missed it with that same sore knee. And, and honestly, I'm pretty worried about what's going on there. I, I, you know, He played two games coming back from knee surgery, and already it's not right enough to where they need to sit him for four days, basically. that That's a bad sign. I think you hang on just a little bit longer there if you've been squatting on him and kind of stashing for the eventual return and hope that he can get back at some point this week. But, you know, at some point here, they're going to have to give a real timeline with him. And I worry that some you know, they may need to go back in and clean something up. If that's the case, Gallo is a guy that should be held and or stashed because he was playing very well. And this was a tough ball game for pretty much everybody when they got clobbered. But uh, with no Hunter, Gallo's free to roam. 
Denver side, Aaron Gordon got a start in his first Nuggets game, played 21 minutes, which, by the way, was my big fear. We had a bet on Denver. It went kind of small on it because I thought when we heard Aaron Gordon was in the starting lineup, my first thought was, uh-oh, they're going to play this dude 35 minutes and he's going to take 20 shots. Luckily, Denver was smarter than that. And I have some, you know, let me just, I'm going to break this discussion down into two directions. Here is what I want to happen, and then I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. What I want to happen is for this iteration of Aaron Gordon to stick. Basically, he's going to be a guy who sits in the flow of the Denver offense. He can use his athleticism and strength to help them defensively in a way that Paul Millsap was too slow and Jermichael Green was sort of too big to do at that power forward spot, at least in this modern NBA. And Aaron Gordon, here's again, this is what I want to happen. What I want to see happen is Aaron Gordon drop the usage rate that he had in Orlando down to something near where he was in this ballgame. I'm totally fine with nine shots in 21 minutes. You know, if he gets up to starters minutes, you presume that'll get into the 11, 12, 13 range. And make shots instead of what we saw in Orlando, which was missing a lot. Not good looks. Got plenty of rebounds and assists with the Magic, but his percentages were so terrible that he just he couldn't even come close to cracking fantasy value this year. So that's what I want to see happen. What I think actually happens is that we're probably going to get an Aaron Gordon who doesn't rebound or pass as much because Nikola Jokic is a great version of both of those things. I don't think two rebounds is what you get from Gordon going forward. It'll be better than that. Michael Porter Jr. had 10 in yesterday's ballgame. Uh, some of those will probably go to, to AG going forward. But, you know, guys sort of are who they are. His free throw percent isn't going to magically fix itself by going to a new team. His field goal percent could improve a little bit, but probably not enough to counterbalance the loss of rebounds and assists that he had as more of a facilitator and kind of a point-forward role with the Magic. So this will probably be a knock on Gordon, but he was already outside the fantasy bucket this year anyway. So... What do you do? That's the next question on him. If you had him, you sit on him for a little bit. See how this thing develops? You know, like I said, maybe there's a, a way for him to squeeze through the pylons here and actually, you know, get enough rebounds or assists to where a decrease in overall field goal percent or a field goal count is outweighed by the increase in efficiency. Maybe that could happen, but I put that at like a 15% chance. I think 85% chance that Aaron Gordon... Just sort of gets a little bit better in field goal percent, but not enough to counteract the drops and other stuff. And he may end up being a drop here in the not-too-distant future, but not yet. Not yet. Meanwhile, Will Barton still got 32 minutes, and I don't see anybody coming for his stuff there. Monty Morris would be the only one. He's really the only guy not playing for Denver right now. And his return, you know, most of his minutes are at backup point, backup shooting guard. I don't think that that's going to take Will Barton out of the picture. They liked what he's been doing lately. I know he's uh, particularly inefficient in this ballgame, but I do think Barton's worth using right now, uh, provided you can take a likely hit in, well, both percentages, I guess. He's not, <clears throat> excuse me, not very good in either of them. But yeah, I, I do think he belongs on a team right now. Orlando's a team we're going to need to pause on for a little bit. Lakers. Uh, yeah, you know, both sides in this one. So for the Lakers, let's do what I think is the easier side first. Andre Drummond is on the way. Andre Drummond is a member of the Lakers, and he's going to take Marcus Gasol's starting center job before very long at all. 
he is going to be chewing up a large portion of the center minutes on this team. And I don't know what that means for a guy like a Montrez Harrell, other than to say it's going to be a knock. Okay? So without getting into too deep of the woods, because we don't know exactly how many minutes Drummond is going to play. We don't know what the Lakers are going to do rotations-wise. But we can safely say... Three Lakers in this game on Sunday had 11 rebounds. Montrez, Markeith Morris, and Kyle Kuzma each had 11 rebounds in that ballgame. Drummond's taken a lot of those. You know, Harrell's not going to get 11. Markeith's not going to get 11. Kuzma's not going to get 11. Not while Drummond is on the floor. So that's a big hit on all of their fantasy value. Not that anybody was using Markeith Morris these days anyway. Dennis Schroeder should be fine, so that's good. We can safely put him in the you-can-still-use bucket. Montrez is going to take a hit. Uh, he's not a guy you drop without finding out how this whole thing shakes out. And Kuzma's a guy, the one that I'm certainly more concerned with, because 21-11-4, five three-pointers, that's a pretty good ball game for Kuz. But at the same time, he needs these giant counting numbers to offset the fact that defensive stats are not that great, percentages are generally uh, pretty horrible for Kyle, bad in both, and turnovers have been kind of high while he's been doing a little bit more facilitating. I do think there's a very real chance that he falls back outside the cut line with Drummond coming in. You can probably give it a day. In Roto Games Cap, I'm probably not starting any Laker besides Schroeder, maybe Drummond, in his first game in L.A. The other guys I would probably sit on in a, in a Games Cap format just to see how it goes and understand that while, while it's hard, sometimes you just have to cut, sort of pull the plug on some stuff, so... Uh, keep a close watch on that. We are, uh, we need a, a game's worth of data at least before making any wild moves or anything to that, you know, dra- ads or drops. But we're going to be watching it very closely, as we will with the Orlando Magic, who lost Michael Carter Williams midway through this thing with a, a knee contusion, banged the knees in the ball game, so he's questionable. I, you know, it sort of almost doesn't even matter whether he plays or not coming forward because the Magic, other than really. One guy, well, maybe two, but really other than those two guys, they gave us nothing. They gave us no data to work with in this ballgame, and I'll explain myself. First of all, Chuma Okiki, who played 30 minutes at 14-6-3 with a block and three three-pointers, he feels like a slightly better rebounding, uh, probably slightly lower scoring maybe version of Sadiq Bey, at least in terms of fantasy numbers. Neither one is going to blow the roof off the building. They're going to take some threes. They're probably not going to overdo it in terms of shot attempts. They're both fine. They both have decent floors for rookies, and neither one of them, I believe, has crazy high ceiling. The other guy in yesterday's ballgame for the Magic that played a ton of minutes was Dwayne Bacon, who logged 33 minutes, took 19 shots to lead the team by a wide margin and six free throws. That was second on the club. Uh, had eight rebounds, an assist, two three-pointers. This dude has, a, has giant holes in his fantasy game. Like, he legitimately needs to be taking close to 20 shots a night to get to fantasy value of any kind. So, no, I'm not picking up Dwayne Bacon. Okiki, I am, to sort of put a bow on that part of the discussion. Otherwise, Mo Bamba played 17 minutes, Kem Birch 26, and Wendell Carter Jr. played 20. Those guys are all basically centers, so I don't know where all those minutes came from. That means someone in that group, probably Birch, was playing power forward for stretches. And I'll admit, I didn't watch this entire game all the way through. Uh, But as a result of all this, none of them played enough to where you can trust them going forward. Bamba clearly had the best line of the three with three blocks, seven boards, 
just sort of good stuff, but only 17 minutes. He's never shown himself to be good enough to do it in only 17 minutes. He doesn't have the Nerlens Noel, Robert Williams uh, makeup as a big man. He's not that far off, but he's, he's going to need to be up in over 20. Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, those guys are not playing power forward. Birch, they, you know, they, if they want to wedge him into it, I guess they can, but the floor spacing will be just brutal for a team that, as long as they still don't have Terrence Ross, has almost none. Okay, so what does that mean now? Otto Porter, 25 minutes. Jason Randall, 26 minutes. Birch, 26 minutes. Wendell Carter Jr., 20. James Ennis, 27. Everybody that we were watching, RJ Hampton, 17. Every single player that we were watching on Orlando logged just enough minutes for us to say, all right, it looks like they want to play him a little. But almost nobody, other than Okiki, played enough to where we could say, okay, this guy has a job with this team, and it's solidified. I do think Terrence Ross, you know, that Orlando doing a little bit of kind of pre-tanking here. I think T. Ross is probably good enough to go if it was a playoff chase or something. Assuming Terrence is back at some point here in the next, I don't know, call it week. I don't know how long they want to pre-tank. That probably displaces James Ennis, although it's possible it also displaces Dwayne Bacon. Either way, one of those or both of those guys are going to take a big hit. What I want to know with the Magic going forward is... Is this going to be a three-way center timeshare? Because if so, we're all doomed. Is Otto Porter going to log 25 minutes a game nightly? Because if so, he's probably worth an ad. Didn't put up the number. Actually, it's kind of perfect. He didn't put up any numbers in his 25 minutes yesterday, which buys us a little bit more time to see how this thing goes. Jason Randall actually fouled out of this ballgame, and Cole Anthony should be back at some point, but we don't really know when. So you also have that hanging, looming over whatever handicapping we're doing of the Magic here. So for now, you add Okiki, Wendell Carter Jr., I think speculative ad in the assumption that, you know, that's the guy they got in the return for the Vucevic trade. But the question is, did they want him or did they want the picks? It could be both, but it could also just be the picks. So if that's the case, then they're going to do with Wendell Carter Jr. what the Bulls did, which is slot him into a timeshare kind of role. So for now, I don't know that you need to add the rest of these guys. Wendell Carter Jr. is a maybe. I don't think you're going to be that upset with yourself if you miss out on it. But I get it. If you have something clunky at the end of your bench, go ahead and just flip him into that spot. Call it a day. Let's turn the clock back to Saturday for the next portion of the proceedings. This is, interestingly, a bigger card, but I don't know if we have quite as many places to pause as we did uh, on the Sunday later card. New York was at Milwaukee and Mitchell Robinson, kind of buried the lead a little bit here, Mitchell Robinson broke his damn foot in this ballgame, played six minutes, and he was done, so Nerland's Noel. Here's the thing. Uh, he's going to be added before this Monday podcast. This happened on Friday, the earliest game, or sorry, Saturday, the earliest game on Saturday. So he was added Saturday or Sunday. So if you don't have Nerland's already, you've missed it. And he'll lose some time to Taj Gibson here and there. Make no mistake, that was happening before Mitchell Robinson came back. But Mitch Rob is probably done for the season. Uh, so if you manage to just barely hang on to Nerland's Noel, and you caught a massive break. Meanwhile, uh, Alec Burks started at shooting guard, played 41 minutes in this ballgame. And this was with R.J. Barrett, Alfred Payton, and Derrick Rose healthy, but without Reggie Bullock. 
So Bullock probably starts when he gets back. But Alec Burks has been an insanely good streamer over the last little bit. And you kind of just have to keep riding that as long as it'll take you. So keep streaming Burks. You can probably drop Mitchell Robinson. And the other note on this ballgame, well, Taj Gibson started and played 34 minutes at power forward. I, I don't I don't know if that's something that they really want to do long term, but I guess you can watch it. I don't know if the Taj Gibson's body can take 34 minutes of ballgame, but you, de- you just never know with Tom Thibodeau. He does love himself some Taj Gibson. I'd be more excited to grab Derrick Rose, who's back. He's playing. He logged 29 minutes. That's really good news, considering it sounded like he had COVID pretty bad. Didn't have any assists, really. Just one, but two steals. Just getting his legs back underneath him. He's going to see pretty good usage, and if he's really going to play minutes in the high 20s, and we'll see how this thing goes when Bullock comes back, because it sort of pulls from everybody's bucket. But 29 minutes for Derrick Rose is way more than enough for him to hit value. Like, it's, it's not even a question mark in that amount of minutes. He is a stud in high 20s, and so I think you can probably just add him with the, uh, with the hope that the high minutes stick. He's a uh, guard that'll get you decent percentages in both because he doesn't take that many threes, points, assists. Seems like steals are actually up for him this year. I don't know if that's just changing the way he's been playing or what, but uh, Derrick Rose not added enough places after seeing him play 29 minutes, and maybe it's because his line wasn't all that great. But look at the, don't look at the actual line. Look at the opportunity when you're making a call on these guys. Milwaukee rested everybody, so, uh, you know, don't give a crap about that side. But uh, New York was a pretty interesting one on Saturday. Detroit, Washington. Washington's worth watching. Daniel Gafford played his first game for the Wiz, logged 13 center minutes, had 13-5 and five with a steal and three blocks. There is a world where he just blasts Alex Len and Robin Lopez out of the water. I don't know that he's actually good enough to do it. By the way, Bradley Beal hurt his hip. He's questionable for their next ballgame. I don't know that Daniel Gafford is good enough to do it, because if he was, he probably would have been making more headway in Chicago. He's better than Mo Wagner. He's probably right in line with Alex Len and Robin Lopez. Which is why those guys each basically played a third of the center minutes in this ballgame. Robin Lopez had 19, Gafford 13 and a half, Alex Len 15. That's pretty crazy. I mean, they like they basically chewed up center minutes among three ways. I think there might have been a little bit of overlap in there. But keep a close watch on it. Like if that 14, 13, 14 minutes for Gafford starts trending up towards 18, if he cracks 20 in a ball game, I think you add him on the spot. Because you're, you're talking about a trend line and not necessarily the actual results on any individual ballgame. Although, again, this one was pretty good. Meanwhile, over on the Detroit side, uh, Jeremy Grant was hurt mid-ballgame, hurt his quad. Detroit decided they probably needed the loss more than they needed Jeremy Grant to play the rest of the way. He's been awful lately, by the way. No one's talking about how bad Jeremy Grant has gotten as this season's gone along. He, his efficiency has completely bottomed out. He's now number 56 on a per-game basis in 9-cat after sitting inside the top 30 for like three months we're talking about. I guess that'd be now, wouldn't it? So a little less than three months. Like two months in the top 30 range, and lately, you know, high volume, like 35% stuff from the field as other things have kind of vanished. He's, to me, exhausted. And that's the most obvious conclusion here is that teams have made some adjustments. Grant is running out of gas. Pistons 
should probably just go ahead and give him a night off, and he'd probably be really good if he got two or three days of rest under his belt. Otherwise, for Detroit, no Dennis Smith Jr. again, dealing with spine issues, which is a uh, kind of a scary way. Not a back thing anymore. Now it's spine bruise. That's that's a little frightening. I'll admit I don't know a ton about it. We haven't dealt with that many players that have had this particular medical listing on their name. I still want him on my fantasy teams, and it's testing how long I can hang on here because just look at the rest of this Motley crew that Detroit is rolling out there without Dennis Smith Jr. Not to say that he's some world beater of a basketball player, but, you know, Wayne Ellington, five three-pointers, okay, that's fine, but they don't really want to play Wayne Ellington the rest of the way. Saban Lee, 6'5 and 5 in 24 minutes. Corey Joseph played 30 damn minutes in this ball game. He's a brutal fantasy player. I know they got a little bit of veteran leadership. Uh, Josh Jackson seemingly losing some playing time to... Uh, other guys on the board here. Detroit is a wreck right now. They actually need, believe it or not, Dennis Smith Jr. to get back out on the floor. And so when he does, if he's healthy, he'll probably play a lot. He's going to take a lot of those Saban Lee minutes, a bunch of those Wayne Ellington minutes, some of those Corey Joseph minutes. Like, he'll play 30 minutes a ball game here, I think even after Killian Hayes comes back. But he's got to get on the floor. Meantime, Isaiah Stewart remains your wait-and-see guy of this post-deadline era, Mason Plumlee, until we get any word that something's happening there. You can pretty much just wait it out. But damn, I'll tell you what, uh, waiting on Dennis Smith Jr. right now is probably the hardest thing I'm currently doing on my fantasy teams because I know there's some severe upside there, but I don't have the first damn clue how bad this injury is. I think he got ruled a day out in advance in one of their recent ball games. although he's listed as questionable most of the time here. So I don't know if they're expecting something to turn a corner, but if you know if we don't get any good news soon, the whole thing comes crashing down. Meantime, out in Houston, they blew out Minnesota. Uh, Christian Wood sat this ball game out. It created this massive, massive doorway for Kelly Olinick to step through. I'm hoping that this is not a lingering thing with Wood because I think many of us have waited on him forever. He's going to rest some games. We talked about that during our Stashapalooza episode uh, back during the All-Star break, which is, look, I expected Christian Wood. Uh, Houston had what? I think we did a special. They had more games than everybody else. They had like 34 games. They had played 34 games. They had 38 games left, I think, after the All-Star break. And my thought was like, look, maybe you get like 30 out of Christian Wood. So don't abandon ship after one game missed here and there, but certainly keep tabs on it. What I what screwed this whole thing up, by the way, uh, let's let's let me jump over to the Minnesota side real real fast. Malik Beasley made his return, had 13 points on 17 shots. He was fat rusty, but he'll be much better in the next couple of ball games, so you know, fire him up. What we did also learn in that one is that Malik Beasley, the biggest toll he's taking on Minnesota is on uh, Jalen Knoll who was seeing some pretty good minutes as kind of a gunner off the bench and sometimes slotting into the starting lineup. Uh, But Beasley slotted in and took all of his shots. The guy who wasn't impacted was Jaden McDaniels, who seems to have basically locked down the power forward spot for the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. His fantasy game is not quite there yet, which, you know, makes him a tough sell for me to tell you guys, oh, yeah, you got to go race out and pick him up right now. Because, you know, there are parts of his game that don't really exist yet. In that, 
You know, we've seen him log better minutes here over the last little bit. But even in those big ball games, he doesn't score. Okay, that's fine. You guys know I don't care that much about points. And even though he's actually a terrific real-life defender, it's translating only partially to big-time defensive stats. It's not jump-off-the-map, Nerland's Time Lord type of defensive stats. It's like, oh, okay, he played 33 minutes and got a block. You can try to trust that he'll get a block in starters minutes. But he didn't rebound all that much because Carl Anthony Towns is out there. Um, he doesn't assist at all. He doesn't really know how to pass yet in his young basketball career. But he's good, and so he's probably going to play even after D'Angelo Russell comes back, if, by the way, that ever actually happens, because he just keeps floating along without a timeline in one of the more brutal stashes that I can remember, because he just keeps not returning here. And we're now... Uh, I mean, shoot, we're like, what are we, two, three, almost like two and a half weeks out of the All-Star break at this point? So do we add Jaden McDaniels? Um, I think more dynasty appeal than anything else. I don't even know if it's keeper league appeal because I need to see I need to see rebounding. Frankly, that's what I need to see. If you're going to be my power forward and I'm counting on you for good percentages and blocks, I need some boards. He's close, though, and they seem to have found something, which is nice. And uh, we'll just keep monitoring Minnesota to see what happens if or when D'Angelo Russell comes back. Otherwise, Cat, Rubio, Beasley, and then you know Edwards had a better ball game here, but he's generally going to be smashing your percentages. Those guys are all fantasy relevant. Tipping back over to the Houston side, because I, I think we need to go, almost go through this player by player again. Uh, Victor Oladipo got traded to the Miami Heat. They got back Avery Bradley, who hasn't played in a while, and Kelly Olynyk. Kelly slotted in immediately here as the starting center with Christian Wood out and played 25 minutes with Justin Patton playing only five, and the Rockets going to a small ball lineup for the other, you know, 15, 18 minutes of the ballgame. John Wall, uh, he's on a bit of a minutes cap, although this was a blowout, so that was part of it. He's still rolling as their starting point guard, which means Kevin Porter is their starting two guard. So his assists are not going to be quite as high. Kevin Porter, he's a start. If he's starting a shooting guard for this team, which it seems like that's the plan, get him into your lineups. Sterling Brown seems to be a three-pointer and a rebound guy. Very odd combination of stuff, but just file that in the back of your mind for potential uh, specialist hunting over the last two or three weeks of the season. We might need that for later, but he's not a, a full you know, start guy in, in a vacuum in a fantasy league. Jay Sean Tate is... A start guy. 10-9, and nine, a steal, three blocks. His defensive stats have been great. His rebounding has been very good. Uh, I've liked what I've seen out of Jay Sean Tate here lately as the full-time power forward for the Rockets. Uh, in terms of the bench guys on this team, uh, none of them is all that interesting to me right now. So that actually solves that problem pretty fast. Kelly Olynyk, I think, is the question mark, at least at this exact moment. What is his job when Christian Wood plays? You're going to see Kelly get picked up in a bunch of spots because he had this nice fill-in start ball game, and certainly any time uh, that Christian Wood sits, Olenek is going to have himself a nice one. I'm not convinced that Olenek's going to play more than basically this number of minutes when Christian Wood is healthy. Because they're going to want to, I think they're going to want Justin Patton to play a little bit at backup center, and even if they don't, what do you get? How many power forward minutes is Olenek going to play? Is he going to play alongside Christian Wood at any point? I guess that's conceivable. It's conceivable. 
But they also, you know, Tate slides up, plays that power forward spot. If Daniel House ever comes back, I assume he will. And we, it's indefinite, but it's a personal thing. So at some point, he'll just be back. And that'll move everybody around again. Although I think that probably hurts Sterling Brown more than most on this team. You guys know I love me some Kelly Olenek. I love his well-rounded game. He's on a bad team now, so it's an opportunity for him to sort of screw around a little bit. He probably does hit fantasy value, but again, like I don't think he's playing 30 minutes of ball game. So it's not mega mega upside with Kelly. It's like Miami Heat Kelly when the Heat are healthy, which is, you know, he he saw more minutes, but his opportunity was a little lower here. His minutes will be a little lower and his opportunity probably a little bit higher. Who do we talk about early on in this podcast? It's kind of a low upside guy. You probably, yeah, I mean, I probably put Olinick in that top 100 range going forward, which is fine, but, you know, I'd rather have Tate. I'd rather have Porter. What the hell else were we talking about? Rather have Dennis Smith Jr. if we find out he's playing a little bit better. Chicago's first game with Vooch was predictably a mess. They shot 43% as a team, could not defend a lick because that is what happens when you drop a high-usage guy into an existing working order. It's not because anyone was bad. It's because the Bulls traded away Wendell Carter Jr. and Daniel Gafford and, not that it mattered as much, Chandler Hutchison and Luke Cornett. And so they brought back someone who's going to log most of their center minutes who's never played with any of these guys before. They don't know where the rotations are supposed to be. Who's calling this stuff out? Uh, I'm guessing Thad Young is, is probably responsible for a lot of that stuff when he's on the floor. And he still had a pretty good ball game here in 22 minutes of a blowout. He probably plays more if it's not a blowout. So you're holding on to Thad. Uh, Sadoransky had a terrible ball game. I, you know, Kobe White played better, so they left him in a little bit there. We've talked about Sado doesn't have a ton of upside. I like him as more of a nine-cat kind of plodding, get you some assists sort of guy. But keep an eye on that. I mean, this could change things again now. Uh, with with Vooch in that starting lineup. Do they want to move bodies around again? Vooch hurts Lowry Markinen quite a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. I think Zach Levine sort of resettles in here in the, in the next little bit. But it's going to be a bumpy road. When you work in a, a big new piece, the first thing is a dip. And then you spike and you get to a higher secondary point than you were before. So no. And if somebody drops like a Thad Young in your league, you put in a waiver claim on that immediately. On the Spurs side, uh, yeah, Kel- I mean, all this game really did was solidify Keldon Johnson as a drop for me. Jakob Pertl was terrible at the free throw line. His other stuff was very good, but he's that, that foul shooting is limiting his upside right now. Derek White, DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, all of that stuff is very easy to handicap, and so you just keep rumbling along with San Antonio. Pretty easy one. Memphis got creamed by Utah here. This was a rematch game. Grayson Allen, uh, 23 minutes. DeAnthony Melton, 18 minutes. I mean, that gets him near his mark, but they are really yanking Melton around right now. And he's a tough hold. I admit it. He's a tough, tough hold. Every time they let him play 22 minutes, he looks like a world beater. And then the next time out, they roll him out at 14. And for a while, it was nice because it was averaging out to about 19, 20 minutes a ballgame, and that was getting him into that top 90 to top 100 range stuff where we looked at it like, Dude, if this guy just adds one or two more minutes to his weekly, his gamely total, then he's a top 75 guy. Instead, it's gone the other damn way. He's now logging closer to 14 to 17 minutes than 19 to 22. 
And unfortunately, there ain't a player in the NBA that can get it done in 14 minutes of ball game. In 16, there's like one or two, and Melton sadly is not one of them. So it's a really hard stash. I know I'm still sitting on him in my games cap formats. I'm actually still sitting on him everywhere because, you know, even in his 18 minutes here, 14 minutes, he does a little stuff. It's not good enough long term. But Roto Games Cap, you can put him on your bench. Unlimited, like, at least he's playing, so he's not going to get you goose eggs, usually. He did have that one game that was pretty close to a goose egg. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I don't expect it will change this season. I don't think that his numbers... Uh, you know, we kept hoping, I kept hoping, we all kept hoping that it was going to trend up. I think this just sort of is what it is at this point. He's going to play about 17, 18 minutes of ball game, and he's going to be right on the cusp. Oh, well. Utah, uh, Jordan Clarkson woke back up. So if you've been sitting on him through his slump, maybe this is the start of JC busting back out of it. He had a top 50 run to start the year. He was on like a top 130 run for a while here with the poor shooting. And if this gets him rolling again, then terrific. You dump him right back in and everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. No, uh, no Mike Conley in this ballgame too. So that uh, certainly helped Joe Ingles, but probably also helped Clarkson as well. Dallas without Luka Doncic, who cares? Who cares, really? They're, they're not a team worth handicapping without Luka because everything you see is a mirage. Tim Hardaway's not going to do that well. Josh Richardson is actually better with Luka getting him open looks. We saw Boban. They decided to go novelty style in this one to see if they could slow down Zion. Yeah, spoiler alert, it didn't work. Zion at 38 and took 18 free throws. <laughs> Man alive. Woof. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, he's a streamer while Lonzo Ball is out, but that's about as far as you get with that one. Eric Bledsoe had one good ball game and then went back to doing next to nothing. And that's all you take away from that one. Boston at Oklahoma City. Uh, Boston did not get any centers so far. Tristan Thompson's still in protocol. My assumption is that when he comes back, he will take some of those center minutes away from the Time Lord. But we already talked on this show a bunch of times last week about how Time Lord, he was even better than the hype was indicating. Everybody's like, oh, Time Lord. You know, what did we talk about last week? Time Lord, uh, he was in the top 75 range. And we all said, look, like, he could be a top 40 guy the rest of the way. He could be better than that the rest of the way. So be willing to give up a top 60 guy to go get him. Give up more than his current rank. I don't know if you're going to get him for anything anymore. Like, people have now seen the explosion with no other healthy centers on the Boston roster. And you're going to have to pay through the nose to get Robert. Well, now you've probably, he's probably priced out now. I mean, Luke Cornett did play 13 minutes in this ballgame as Mo Wagner got seven. Uh, so yeah, Tristan Thompson will take those guys minutes and maybe he does take Robert Williams back down to like 22. I don't know. Who cares though? That's still more than enough. You guys are like, Dan, why are you talking about the Boston game? That's not what we want to hear about right now. I know what you guys want to hear about and I'm not giving it to you until you listen until you listen to my pitch. Well, I already told you guys we're recruiting for basically everything. DFS contributors, full season writers, newswire writers, team coverage writers, all that stuff. Hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email Dan, uh, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. But I also need to tell you guys about our good buddies at manscaped.com. This is now officially our longest-running partner, and I could not be more thrilled to work with such a great company uh, we're running out, by the way. March was the month where they were, uh, currently are, I should say. We're not done yet. 
Manscaped partnering with the Testicular Cancer Society, all the money that they're raising as part of their, their fund drive going to awareness about that form of cancer. And it sort of ties in, obviously, with their marketing campaign. We try to keep it... Uh, we, I, you know, we don't talk that much about like their, their below-the-belt grooming stuff here because it's funny and it works and people have heard it, but I, I almost want you guys to know that their stuff works wherever. I mean, it's just a really good sideburn trimmer. It's a pinch-free sideburn trimmer. That should be all I need to say to get you guys to go check it out. Use code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. HOOPBALL20, all one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, to get 20% off and free shipping on your order at manscaped.com. Check out the Lawnmower 3.0 with a built-in LED light. They were kind enough to send me one, which thank you to our good buddies at Manscaped for making sure the hosts are well taken care of here at HoopBall. Uh, it's really cool, man. I tried shaving my neck in the dark just to see what happened. By the way, silver lining of a pandemic, I guess. Nobody sees me, so I can do whatever the hell I want. My hair is is hideous. That's why I wear a hat on all of our live shows. Uh, but I shaved my, my neck and my beard in the dark, and it looks great. It's better than my haircut. Because the damn thing has a built-in LED light, pinch-free technology, 90-minute battery life, and a charging stand. Pretty sleek, too. Good-looking little device. Easy to clean. Lawnmower 3.0. Go check out manscaped.com. Again, use promo code HOOPBALL20 to get yours today. Okay. Okay. I know what you guys are waiting for, and we're going to do it right now. And that is Moses Brown. Moses Dan Brown, who signed a multi-year contract with the Thunder after putting up a little Andre Drummond-like 2020 night. And some of you who are the more irritated fantasy players said, what about the defensive stats, Dan? Yeah, you're right. He didn't have any in this ballgame. He didn't block any shots. Which ruined my tweet from before the ballgame. It was, of course, a Passover joke. Happy uh, Passover to all of our listeners of the Jewish faith. We have a, our unopened box of matzah on the counter while we all contemplate whether or not we want to eat it. Um, so Moses Brown. Here, here's what's kind of fun. About, you know what? I, I want to talk about Moses Brown actually last on this team because Al Horford was shut down for the season. That's the news that sort of leads into this discussion. Al Horford is officially done for the year, so you can drop him. Uh, Alexei Pokushevsky is still struggling with NBA speed and the bulk of the players he's going up against. And, and Darius Baisley still isn't back from his shoulder thing. I, I do think he plays again before the year is done. Lou Dort played 16 minutes before leaving this ballgame. He got hit in the head, so he's in the concussion protocol. And, you know, that'll make a guy like a Kenrich Williams briefly fantasy relevant. But I'm not diving in on that stuff. Uh, also, uh, you know, a little bit disappointed in what we're getting out of Isaiah Roby here lately. But without Al Horford, he should be okay enough to get onto the fantasy radar, just not a ton of upside, only because of how his game is built. Meanwhile, uh, Theo Maladon had a really nice ball game here, and they almost don't have a choice but to get a bunch out of Theo Maladon because SGA is out for we don't know how long. Uh, and then Ty Jerome, he'll play a bunch off the bench. If Maladon was having a tougher night, you might just see more Ty Jerome. Uh, but right now, you can pick up and you can run Maladon out there because they just th- there's no one else. No, there, there's, there really aren't any options. He's being forced to actually take shots 
which you can see he kind of doesn't want to do because he's not a very good shooter yet. Uh, I don't think he's shot better than 50%, but for like one time in his last 10 ball games. Uh, but he'll get some assists because he's running the point. He'll get some rebounds because he's going to be on the floor for 30 minutes a night. Get some steals and threes because that's what he was. we were looking at him for anyway. Uh, and then the question becomes, can the usage overwhelm the bad field goal percent? I'm inclined to think the answer of that to that question is yes right now, while SGA and Dort are both out. But looping back around, is Alexey Pokashevsky a must-add guy for the rest of this year? No, he's not. He has a cool fantasy game, but he built he's built as a dynasty leaguer. And when I say that, it's the same joke I've been making here, so I don't want to make it too many more times. But he's a waif right now. Like, he's, the, he's a slender little feather of a man playing with, what's the expression, grown-ass men on a basketball court. Gotta love that idiotic sports uh, idiom. Uh, but he's not ready for the NBA yet. His, his actual constitution isn't ready for the NBA yet. His fantasy game is, but his constitution is not. The guy whose constitution is ready is Moses Brown, who's locked into just a colossal role the rest of the year. And I, I, have, to do, I have to do something that I know I'm going to regret doing, and that is make the case for a Moses Brown sell. Not because something's not going to be awesome, because it's going to be awesome. And I think I speak for pretty much everyone in fantasy when I say, right now, there are very few things that are more exciting to a fantasy player than knowing Moses Brown is playing soon. If you were like, Dan, what's the question that's going to get the juices flowing today? I'd be like, ask me if Moses Brown is playing. That's the question. By the way, he is. <laughs> he is. They're playing Dallas tonight. And everybody's been like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I, I can't wait. I got to watch this thing. Over the last week, Moses Brown is shooting 68% from the field. He's averaging 15 points, 18 rebounds, a steal, and two blocks. However, over that same stretch, he is top 70. And the reason for that is because a man of his immense height, he's seven foot two. He's not all that huge yet. He's about 240 pounds. Like, he's big enough to hang in the NBA in, in a way that Pokashevsky is not. Uh, but he's a terrible foul shooter. And we didn't really know for sure, but we sort of knew. And right now he's sitting at about 59%. And if he's playing starters minutes, the volume is going to be, I don't want to say significant, but not insignificant. Like, it'll be probably three, four, five free throws per game. When he's out there for starters minutes, that's kind of the way it's gone, other than that game against Cat in Minnesota, who didn't bother to foul him. The other three games, three of his last four games, he had six, eight, and nine free throws in those. That's 23 attempts. He's made only 13 of them. That is a punt free throw type of guy. And it's it again, it kills me to say this. Absolutely kills me because he is arguably the most exciting story in fantasy at this exact moment. But that's also like saying, well. If I told you a stock was skyrocketing for like seven days in a row, wouldn't you start to think, uh, uh, I don't, uh, how long do we do this thing? Is a bottom going to fall out? It's a little bit different because there's no bottom going to fall out with Moses Brown. The thing here is that his, his upside is great, but we're at a moment in time where you might be able to trade Moses Brown and get a bona fide top 60 guy back. And I kind of think you have to try. 
Don't look at the guys right at top 60. That You're not aiming high enough. You could trade Moses Brown, and you could almost definitely get Larry Nance Jr. back, which, by the way, I think would probably be uh, a win the rest of the way, although, you know, with Nance, there's shutdown risk. With Brown, it's just kind of the opposite. Every time someone gets shut down, he gets to do more. I would aim higher. Look for someone above that, maybe in the 50 range, who's having what, what his what fantasy GMs might consider a disappointing season. Who's in that range? Not that many guys, unfortunately, because John Collins has actually been better lately. He pushed himself up to right at the edge of the top 40. Um, Well, that's a tough one to find unless you think Shea's going to play again soon, which I sort of don't. DeJounte Murray, you could probably get. I mean, aim for the shoot the moon at this point. Wait for someone to have a bad ball game or two and then go see if you can get him. Go try to get Michael Porter Jr. for Moses Brown. You might be able to pull it off. You really might be able to pull it off. Because right now, I think people have convinced themselves, myself included, this is not me saying that anybody is doing something dumb. Like I said, Moses Brown is the most exciting story in fantasy right at this moment. I am, I have him almost everywhere, and I am like shaking. I'm so excited to watch his game against uh, the Mavericks tonight just to see what happens. How many rebounds is he going to get? And he could be pretty damn good. Or, you want to roll the dice a little bit? If he has another giant ball game tonight, shoot higher. But I think this is a week where you might want to think about selling Moses Brown. Before the reality of his terrible free throw shooting sinks in and you become a little bit hard capped, could he get up to that sort of, not this year, but like two years ago, Andre Drummond kind of range? The answer is no. It's no. First of all, he's not going to average 17 points. Andre Drummond, two years ago in Detroit, uh, averaged 17 and 16 with three and a half defensive stats combined. He shot exactly 59% at the free throw line on five attempts per game. uh, And he was number 18 in fantasy leagues. If you take the scoring away, which, you know, Moses Brown with the 2020 game, he's not going to have 20 points a night. If you take that 17, you dial it back to like 11 or 12. And the rebounding, let's just for uh, argument's sake, leave it in the 15 range. Do we, think, do we really think Moses Brown's going to go for three and a half defensive stats per ball game? I don't. I don't. There's very few players of any shape or size that can get to that point. If he does, it'll be because he's blocking two and a half shots a night with one steal. And I don't think that's happening. So let's bring that back down to, I mean, we could, uh, let's call it three just to give him a pretty big number. Probably not even one and a half assists per ball game. Uh, and then again, the scoring, the field goal percent actually should be better for Moses Brown. So what is the actual upside there if you're talking about a guy who's basically like a punt free throw possibility? Could he be top 25? Maybe. The guys that have done it are Giannis, who's a pretty different kind of ball player. Gobert was number 17 that year. On field goal percent, that's probably a little bit more Moses Brown-like. Slightly better free throw percent than Moses. Probably better scoring, probably more blocked shots. So let's say Moses Brown, like, you could... Man, when I said top 60, I think I probably was shooting too low for what you can get back. Maybe look at guys in the 40 range. Maybe you could get John Collins or Gordon Hayward or Rudy Gobert. Because people are super excited about Moses Brown right now. And for good reason... But man, I think we're looking at an opportunity to try to cash in and get some 
hyper-proven asset. By the way, if you're in a dynasty league, none of this applies to you because you may want to just ride Moses Brown for the next half decade if this is really the guy that, I mean, it looks like a guy that OKC wants to build around a little bit. Okay, let's move along. That was a very long Moses Brown discussion. Philadelphia, uh, still without Joel Embiid. Danny Green's been on a heater here lately, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, Dwight, Dwight Howard. Oh, man, he just keeps getting ejected out of ball games. This is an opportunity for him to do all sorts of stuff because Tony Bradley got traded and Dwight can't last through a damn ball game. But he is a good streamer, provided he can make it through four full stupid periods of basketball. Oh, Lord have mercy. Uh, over on the Clippers' side, um, this is the bad on Marcus Morris. We talked about him quite a bit. If he doesn't rebound, then he's just a three-point specialist at the center spot. But still 31 minutes. You just hope that if he's out there for 31 minutes, he'll get five rebounds and a steal. And that would have been enough, actually, to turn this from a not-great fantasy game into an okay one. That's all it takes. That's the difference there. Otherwise, uh, just you know, keep riding Zubots until Serge Ibaka resurfaces. Nick Batum, 35 minutes off the bench in this game. He's trying to make a case to still be rostered, but he's sort of turned back into Charlotte Nick Batum, just happier. Cleveland got Colin Sexton back. Um, Jared Allen in the concussion protocol, so Larry Nance is really freed to go nuts at this point. Sacramento. Oh, Sacramento we need to talk about. Cleveland I don't think we need to talk about all that much because Garland is a go, Nance is a go, Sexton is a go. Uh, if you trust Dean Wade after a 31 game here, then you're a braver man or woman than I. Sacramento, though, needs to be talked about because Delon Wright made his Kings debut, played 23 minutes, logged four points, three boards, two assists. Pretty much couldn't have gone any worse from a fantasy line standpoint. But you must, by the way, hell of a game winner for Harrison Barnes. 1.6 seconds, Kings threw a length of court pass. Barnes caught it at the three-point line, spun and fired Pretty amazing, actually, that the Cavs couldn't find a way to defend that thing better. Uh, so the Kings now getting a few wins against some bad teams, trying to convince themselves that they can compete for a playoff spot, even though, I mean, the fact that this ballgame was close should have never been. They just got out-turnovered by a billion in this ballgame. But uh, let's talk about DeLon Wright, because, first of all, De'Aaron Fox is on a, an epic heater, like you wouldn't even believe. Um... Uh, he played 38 minutes. Holmes, 34. Halliburton, 33. Heald, 32. Barnes, 36. That actually might stick. But here's something I think probably shifts a little bit in DeLon Wright's favor. Terrence Davis logged 18 minutes off the bench. I think some of those minutes could go to DeLon Wright. Uh, Heald's, 32. Some of those may actually end up going to DeLon Wright. And if De'Aaron Fox is not on in a life-altering bender of a run, he probably doesn't play 38 minutes per game most nights either because that's not healthy. Although with the Kings see, when the Kings see a win in their sights, it's about the only thing that Luke Walton does well is when he sniffs that his team has a shot to win a ball game, he'll just play Barnes and Fox 40 minutes and not even give a crap. I think DeLon Wright trends up from 23 minutes, probably to closer like 25 or 26 when everything is sort of said and done. Uh, and... He'll settle in. He very clearly was taking a passive role in this particular ballgame. By the way, I would beg of you to find a King player who wasn't taking a passive role in this game. Darren Fox took 24 shots, and the next highest on the team was Rashawn Holmes with 11. Halliburton had 11. Barnes had 10. So uh, the only player with a usage rate over 20 was actually Darren Fox. Terrence Davis was on 20, right on the nose. So was Barnes. DeLon Wright was at 13, second lowest usage rate on the team, and that's a guy who's getting used to some new teammates. He seems genuinely excited to be on a team 
that seems to have made up its mind they're going to make a playoff push. He's good in that role. Steals and blocks and rebounds on assists are pretty much where he makes his hay. So get him out there. Kings only had 16 assists in the whole damn ball game because it was just Fox going bananas. So don't drop DeLon Wright for this one. I can't promise you guys that he's going to be a, fam- a fantasy asset. I can't make that promise. I don't know exactly what's going to happen because they still are the Kings, but they're trying to win, and he is now one of their five best players. Yes, I put him above Buddy Heald in overall ability. In terms of fit, Heald probably makes more sense because you need floor spacing, and Wright's not a good three-point shooter. So for that effect, he is their sixth man. And on a team that plays as fast as the Kings generally do, the Cavs really slowed this game down, the sixth man usually makes some noise in fantasy. So I think DeLon Wright settles in. Uh, I don't know that you ever see him score a bunch on this club, but I think you'll see facilitating. I think you'll see rebounding with that second unit, and you will definitely see steals and blocks because those don't just vanish overnight. Did anybody uh, not play over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday? Anybody I'm forgetting on this thing? Uh, Brooklyn? I think they had a couple games off there. Kyrie Irving expected back for the next ball game. Blake Griffin played 20 minutes, but they're signing LaMarcus Aldridge, so things just getting even more cluttered in that front court. And yet another reason for me to say I remain a bit bearish on Nick Claxton. Sorry, guys. I know. I just I can't, I can't join the throngs on that one. I know I'm the odd man out, and that's okay. I don't mind being the odd man out, but in this particular instance, I am. Oh, and Miami didn't play over the weekend. That's a team that we talked about on Friday, so there really isn't a whole lot to add to them because we were sort of looking into that ballgame. Uh, but I do want to make a case for Trevor Ariza, who had a, a good ball game on Friday. I did a live show, actually, with Bogman and Jonas on Saturday this week, so that's, maybe that's in my mind why I already talked about Trevor Ariza. I actually like him. Because I don't know that Nemanja Bielitsa is going to steal all of his minutes. So give him at least a hard look here. I picked him up in a couple spots just to see how tonight's ballgame goes. But, you know, if Ariza really is the full-time starting power forward on this team, then he probably profiles as a top 85 range guy. That's a guy you need to use. If, however, we find out Bielitsa is taking that starting spot, well, then you just move on very quickly because that becomes a problem that solves itself. Easy enough. You only have to hold on to Ariza from the time you hear this podcast until we find out who's starting Miami's ballgame tonight. And then if it's Ariza, you only have to hold on until the end of the ballgame to find out if they really do want him playing 31 minutes a night. By the way, 31 minutes, pretty good. He'll get his, his 9, 10 shots up, and they'll mostly be three-pointers. He can rebound. He'll pass because that's a motion offense. He gets steals, always gets a ton of steals. I didn't think I was going to be talking about old man Ariza at any point this season, but here we are. And, I, you know, I like him as a guy with a little more upside than some of those sort of plodding centers we talked about earlier in the show. And I think that might be it. I never do that. I really should look ahead. I get into the podcast. I'm like, I'll figure, I'll remember when I get to Friday which teams we have and haven't talked about. Golden State didn't play over the weekend either, but you know, the only thing to monitor there is James Wiseman's minutes have been on the rise. He is making a case for himself in points leagues right now, but he's not yet remotely close in category stuff. And uh, Warriors expect to have Steph Curry back here very soon. So that'll give us, I think, a better look at what's going on. Woof. And that's your reverse chronological lightning round Monday. Um, Let's go kind of lightning round uh, what's coming up tonight on the docket and go from there. Uh, It's a big one. So we're going to have to 
go a little bit. So here's the thing. We talked about all these teams already. Indiana at Washington. Washington, you're watching Daniel Gafford. We already talked about that from earlier in the show. Pelicans at Celtics. Keep an eye on the center position. If Really only if Tristan Thompson plays. Otherwise, kind of a big who cares because you know Robert Williams is going to go crazy. Miami, we just talked about them. Trevor Reza is your guy to watch. And Victor Oladipo, if he gets in there, what is he? what's his role going to be really? For the Knicks... Uh, Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson, Derek Rose, Alec Burks, plenty of things to monitor with New York. Minnesota, I mean, I guess we can talk about McDaniels a little bit, or we can watch him a little. I just, I don't believe that his fantasy game is quite there yet. Brooklyn, that's turned into Logjam City outside of Superstar Town, and probably Joe Harris still. Dallas, it, whether or not Luka plays is kind of the only thing you care about, but fantasy-wise, you already know what you're doing, whether or not. OKC, it's the Moses Show. Hmm. And then Maladon, I guess. I wish we'd get an update on, on Shea. All they've said is out indefinitely at this point. Toronto, can Gary Trent carve out a points league role? Detroit, I think Dennis Smith Jr. is still out for this one. So how long can I hold, I guess, is the only question there. That's, that's a tough one, man. Need to see Jeremy Grant get going. Toronto's defense might be a good time to do it. Damn you, Detroit. Memphis, ugh. Houston, Kelly Olynyk, worth watching, especially if Wood does play. I want to know what Olynyk's role is if Wood is in there. Sacramento, DeLon Wright, status, Spurs, nothing really. Cleveland, not much. Utah, not much. Milwaukee, not much. Clippers, maybe you're watching Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, guys like that. If they could, what can they do to kind of hang on? And then Chicago, or incorporating new bodies and Warriors, whether or not Steph is in there, and kind of what that does to a Jordan Poole and or James Wiseman. So that's your quickie Monday preview. Uh, certainly the most interesting games. I mean, there's guys to watch in pretty much every one of these ball games. so I can't really assign homework tonight. But I want to get this thing wrapped up because we're about an hour in, uh, and you guys have a day to enjoy. I know I get long-winded. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. Please do once again follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespers, and come apply. Come be a recruit at hoop-ball.com. Love to talk to you more. See if it's a fit. Again, that's at Dan Vespers or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Have a great Monday, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.